0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage and microgrid solutions. And Kim Power, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. There are many different stories of EV road trips from charging with only solar, believe it or not, we'll be covering that soon on the podcast, to relying on just L2s based on where you are, to leapfrogging between EVgo and Electrify America. And most of them, honestly, aren't that simple in terms of EV road trips. They're not that easy. And usually they come along with a story about an issue somewhere, and hopefully that's getting better and better. We've seen it get better and better. And I'm not here to be a negative Nancy by any means, but we're just observing what's true for EV owners and EV drivers. And a lot of us love to road trip. One thing that seems to be a shared experience is that folks who road trip Teslas have a generally easier time, mostly due to the expansive Tesla supercharger infrastructure throughout the world, actually. And They have 50,000 superchargers all over the globe, but what happens when the CCS chargers save the day? Fill in the gaps or maybe even charge faster than what you'd get when you rely on the Tesla supercharger network. Welcome back to the Out of Spec Podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, Ryan. Welcome.
1: It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk about this road trip, although it was not the most exciting thing, which honestly is kind of a good thing when it comes to EV road trips.
0: I think that's true. I think the general understanding with the Tesla road trip is like, it might not be that exciting. And maybe you, I mean, I personally only want my road trip to be exciting in ways that I am confident I can handle. And hopefully it doesn't have anything to do with actually getting there, but maybe running into something interesting along the way, like the adventure of life. And maybe one day the EV charging public infrastructure story will be something of the past but today it's very very much the present so we did want to talk about your recent road trip that you took over the holidays which I'm sure is something that a lot of people did a lot of our listeners did as well and how you actually needed charging along the way but found that the CCS network was perhaps the most optimal option for your needs which is maybe not something we always hear about so first off tell me what were you driving and where did you go
1: Absolutely. I have a Tesla Model 3 rear wheel drive, and I was taking that with uh, my girlfriend and dog. We were driving out to Southern California to visit our parents. Uh, It was really nice. It's about a little over a thousand miles each way, and the main stretch that I really want to talk about is the stretch between Grand Junction, Colorado, and then Salina, Utah. And over that stretch, I thought it was really interesting because technically speaking, you can get through that stretch faster if you're using CCS infrastructure. But before we get into that, I do want to talk just a little bit about the basics of the road trip. And those are that, it was just a really nice, easy time. It's a two day trip for us, Uh, a thousand miles is a pretty long way to go in just one day. So we split it up into two days and that makes it really manageable. Uh, If you can, it'd be great if we can pull up some of the information about what that driving was actually like.
0: Totally. And so we're pulling this up and this is Teslify, right? So Ryan, can you start by explaining to folks who may not have a Tesla or may not be as mm, data oriented, loving data, tracking other stuff as some of us are uh, about what TeslaFi is and why someone would want to use it?
1: Certainly. Teslify is essentially a paid subscription service that gives you all of the data information you could ever want about your Tesla. And for someone who's into data, like myself, it's great. I love it. And for people who are just want to have a car to get them from A to B, not very necessary. However, it does give us a lot of really great information about driving, efficiency, charging, all these different metrics. And I'd highly recommend it if you have any interest in learning about this data. But what we have here is essentially a look at what this drive was like. You can see right here, this is a drive. I used 89% in three hours, 19 minutes, drove 205 miles, and ended up in Parachute, Colorado where I charged for five minutes. Of course, you can take the time to look through all this information, but the main thing I want to point out is down here at the bottom, it's got some highlights right here nine hours of driving, and then four charging stops. There's actually a fifth one that it didn't count because uh, it was on a CCS network, not Supercharger. However, as you can see, the charging stops were all about at most 25 minutes. And this was consistent for every day of the trip. Charging stops were between 10 and at most 25 minutes. And I found that to be honestly really manageable, really totally fine to work. It's about an hour and a half of driving and then 15 ish minutes of charging. And that works really well with two people driving and a dog. The dog gets to get out, go to the bathroom and do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, just a really smooth experience.
0: So I think this is one thing that a lot of uh, people think about it's how long is the charging stop going to take? And I know that I've had longer stops that just kind of tick by slowly and then some longer stops that i use well and they don't seem that long so i think sometimes our perception of how long they take take can change based on our mood how the trip is going how long we've been behind that darn wheel and having something like this to really quantify it is really useful and also i do love a lot of people i mean i think it's definitely seeing the bright side of things if you just want to stop and go, you know, not have really long stops, but like, you know, in the new year, people are trying to improve themselves. And if you're on a road trip and you have to get out and stretch or walk around, or I don't know, play some Sudoku to get your mind sharp again, these stops I think can really be incorporated into your lifestyle in a way that benefits you, where you don't just have to sit in the car, but you can do something for yourself. So also I wanted to mention that Teslify, you said it was a month or a a paid uh, service. And it seems it's pretty cheap. So it's either $5 a month or $50 a year if you do the annual thing. So I think that was something interesting to reference because even if you're not super, not, not sure how much, how much you want to invest in tracking all of this, it doesn't seem like a huge upfront investment. So one question I have just before we get into more of the data is how much of this are you putting into TeslaFi and how much is it tracking itself?
1: hundred percent is automatic. I've never entered any data myself. So that's really cool. Hands off. Which, it's really nice.
0: Yeah. I love that. And then I think it can really, um, especially if someone's on the fence about whether or not they want to do the EV because of the EV road trip lifestyle or whatever it is, you just have hard facts to show them. Well, this is how I drive. This is how I charge and I'm here and we're having our family time. So, you know, you could do it too.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's certainly very manageable. And like we said, the charging stops are something that you do have to adjust to when you get an EV. But it it's really nice, honestly, being able to just take a moment to te- step out of the car, stretch a little bit. Sure, it might not be possible to go a thousand miles in a single day, but I'm not that interested in doing that, to be yeah. honest, even in a gas <laughs> car. So I, I know I'm I've done happy that. With how it works.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I've done that like maybe once or twice when I really just had to send it, but most of the time I like to break it up. And if you're going to be seeing different parts of the world by car, I think it's a great opportunity to pull off and see something cool and weird and observe something along the way. But I do know that sometimes people just have to send it a thousand miles, but mm, I don't think it's really the best for us. So you drove from Boulder to Southern California and this route in terms of how it was outfitted with charging, it seems like so far pretty good. You you only charge for five minutes at one point. So that means that, I mean, I know I went on a road trip with a R1T, Kyle's R1T, and I didn't just get to pull off wherever I wanted and charge for just a little bit to get to the next one. I really had to uh, make the charges count and stretch because the charging infrastructure wasn't everywhere. So can you tell me a bit about how easy it was for you to just pull off and make these stops short rather than having to really hold out for the next stop?
1: Yeah, so a really great thing with Tesla is it's got really good navigation and route planning. So it's very good at determining what's free of charge you'll arrive at. Also, it's very good with preconditioning the battery so that you get your full charging speeds right when you plug in. So between those two things, I think Tesla really maximizes everything they possibly can with getting quick charging, getting people back on the road as quickly as possible. However, it's not always perfect. And I think one of the main things that uh, comes up is version two superchargers. And for those of you who don't know, those are slightly older versions of chargers, and they have a max of about 140-150 kilowatts, sometimes only 120. However, if you're uh, parked next to someone and you're both charging, you're going to be splitting that 120 or 150 kilowatts, so you'd only get 60 or 75 kilowatts. And that's actually pretty darn slow. And I want to be clear that the Tesla supercharger network is exceptional. It works very well, and I could very easily do this trip only on Tesla superchargers. However, there is also CCS infrastructure that I'm able to charge on with my Tesla. And there's a lot of places and a significant stretch of hundreds of miles where Tesla chargers are actually faster. Or sorry, where CCS chargers are actually faster than the Tesla chargers, Uh, So if we start looking in Grand Junction, what we have is a six-stall version two supercharger. Uh, It's nice. It's right next to some restaurants, which is convenient. It's also next to six Rivian chargers, which can provide 200 kilowatts. Additionally, in Grand Junction, there's an Electrify America station, which has four chargers, two of them at 350 kilowatts and two of them at 150 kilowatts. And even those slower ones are faster than the uh, version 2 Tesla superchargers. So in Grand Junction, it's faster to charge on CCS. Note that this is all with the caveat that we're assuming that the CCS chargers are all working and operating as expected, which is not always the best assumption, but the reality is, under good conditions, CCS charging is better in Grand Junction. Then we move about 100 115 miles west, and we get to Green River, Utah. And this is a huge uh, stretch between Salina and uh, Grand Junction, where there's only one place to charge, and that's here in Gre- uh, there in Green River. Again, Tesla has a V2 supercharger. They've got eight stalls, whereas uh, Electrify America has four stalls. Again, two three fifties and two one fifties. So, again, the CCS infrastructure is actually faster if you can get those chargers to be working properly. And that brings us to the last part of this leg where we get to Salina, Utah. And there is an Electrify America station there. It's great. I love that one. It's one of my favorites, actually. It's right off the highway. There's a nice love stop, uh, good bathroom. And two 350 chargers, 200, two 150 chargers. So very fast. The only option you have with Tesla is to go About 15, 16 miles further down the road, further off the highway, there is a version two supercharger with four stalls, and that's 120 kilowatts, and that can be split. So in my opinion, way better to go with the Salinas stop than uh, 15 miles down the road with the Tesla supercharger. So to me, that's about two-ish, more than 200 miles where it's a lot faster to go on the CCS infrastructure than the Tesla infrastructure. And of course, that can change. And there are some of the caveats, like there are fewer CCS uh, charger uh, cabinets and cables that you can plug into, and CCS is known to have some issues. But in my experience, I'm okay with that. And I took a risk, and I charged on CCS Network Electrify America several times on this road trip, and it worked great. It was, uh, in fact, more convenient and faster. It was. I'm happy that I went through with it.
0: Hmm. So I, I feel like a lot of our listeners actually are in similar areas that we live as well. So I wonder if anyone else has done this stretch. And of course, if they're in the CCS vehicle, they probably just definitely take these stops that you prefer. But it it seems like, OK, so Tesla is there, but there can be options where you can get a quicker charge, perhaps a more convenient charge, too, when it's closer to being right off the highway than the V2 chargers. So. I know that Tesla is everywhere. And I have to think that, of course, it's sometimes in their interest to have the V2, but a lot of the times the fast charging is what the customers want, especially when they're considering along these corridors. So I wonder, do you think like these will be updated or do you think that this is just kind of something that maybe Tesla would look at and be like, well, there's CCS charging there that's filling in the gap, maybe we should just prioritize other areas that we're not in?
1: It's a really great question. And to one end, I think they're doing something a bit questionable to me. So as I mentioned, there is that Electrify America in Salina, Utah. About 15, 16 miles down the road is Richfield, Utah. There's a Tesla supercharger there, also an Electrify America station, but that's besides the point. Tesla's (laughs) installing yet another charger there in Richfield, and that will be a V3 supercharger. So that will be nice, but I'm not sure why they chose there instead of Salina. I think Salina is a much better option because there's nothing between there and Green River. So the closer you can get to Green River, the better.
0: Okay. Understood. Were you at all uh, bummed that you had to use CCS over the Tesla supercharger network?
1: Not at all. I mean, so... The way I approached it, at least in my mind, was, you know, I'm going to get there, period. It's it's very easy. Um, and I can get there on the Tesla superchargers. It's going to be fine. Um, but, hey, I can have an opportunity where in Green River, I don't have to charge as long. And my next charging stop will be even shorter. So shorten two charging stops by choosing the CCS station in Salina. And to me, that's just only positive. So I I get a faster charging stop, a charging stop that I prefer. And sure, is it a little bit more inconvenient to activate an electrify America charger compared to just plugging in with Tesla? Yeah, sure, but I, I don't really care that much about swiping an app on my phone. And I'm more than happy to make that sacrifice to have a good charging stop.
0: That's good. So in general, you you know, you had to charge on the CCS chargers or you opted to because it was a better option and no issues. They charge just fine.
1: No problems. Uh, I mean, full disclosure, I did have an issue where I forgot to update my payment method. So uh, once the balance ran out, I had to uh, change the payment method. But that's my fault. That was not a
0: a bit more on you than the network, which is great. We love that.
1: Another point I'd like to make that you mentioned is a lot of these are V2 superchargers along this specific route on i seventy. And that's actually going to be a problem going forward because, as we know, Tesla has opened their supercharger network so other vehicles, mm. other manufacturers can charge on their network. However, it's not possible for them to charge on V2 chargers. They have to be V3. So there's mm. no option for, say, a Ford or Chevy driver who wants to use the Tesla supercharger network. It's just not an option on this stretch.
0: Oh, that is a really interesting point, because, of course, we're going to have to see how the rollout of NACs everywhere, the integration of all these EVs onto the different networks, especially the Tesla supercharger network, works. But knowing that only the V3 and the V4, when it finally you know, hits the roads, comes out, that um, those are the only ones available. So then that would alter. If this was like your normal route, that might mean that you would have to opt for a different the v2 i mean if the ccs was full and there's enough to make a queue at those stations
1: yeah yeah so i i do think that especially right here on this stretch uh, i mean i have a lot of experience driving this this route and to me it's pretty obvious there needs to be s- some improvements especially for ccs vehicles along this stretch and i hope that's coming soon and additionally my thought is that this is not a unique case i find it hard to believe that this is the only stretch of highway in america where there needs to be improvement on both CCS and Tesla infrastructure. So yeah, I don't think this is a unique case.
0: No, odds are low that any stretch is really quite perfect, I'd say. Um, there's. I think there's, yeah, spots as just like this where one shines brighter and is stronger and better for the driver than the other. So this is of course, along the way that you're driving and you're getting this fast charging that takes you to your next stop. And one thing that is that I've encountered is that I plan to go to a hotel. It was supposed to have charging, but I get there. Some are taken and then the one that's left is broken and there's nothing that I can do. And luckily I'm not at zero or 1%. So I can get up and charge in the morning, but how was the overnight stop for you?
1: Yeah, I, that's a great point. And- I love overnight hotel charging. That's something I specifically look for every time I'm uh, doing a road trip like this and and spending some time uh, driving. It's just so nice to have the peace of mind to wake up in the morning with a full charge preconditioned battery, just ready to get on the road, not have to worry about 40 minutes of charging, anything like that. So one of the things that's really nice about having the Model 3 rear wheel drive is that it's got a relatively small battery and it's extremely efficient. And what that means is that pretty much 100% of the time, if I can get to a hotel that has charging, I'll wake up in the morning with a full battery. That may not always be the case with cars with bigger batteries. For example, the the Rivian might not be able to get to 100% after just a night of charging.
0: That's true. Yeah, I think you can get some charge, but maybe not all the way. Do you charge to
1: 100%? Yes. I also have the uh, rear wheel drive, which has a LFP battery. So a lot less sensitive to being charged to 100%.
0: Mm -hmm. In fact, they encourage a 100% charge once a week, right?
1: Yes, for calibration purposes.
0: Exactly. So, okay, that's nice. Not only do you have the smaller battery, but you can actually charge it to 100%, which a lot of people do, I think, anyways, especially if they don't really know that that's not the best thing to do. So you can wake up and get out of there and go for a while along your road.
1: Yeah, I can get a solid easily... Uh, well over 200 miles on highway going 75, 80 miles an hour, which is really nice.
0: Okay. So of course the charging is typically there with superchargers. There's some instances where CCS fills in, which I think is important to note because it's not always Tesla being the best option because we're not in a perfect EV ecosystem quite yet. Is there anything else about the driving a Tesla on a road trip that would keep you sticking with Tesla, Then maybe choosing a different EV, maybe once Next comes along, if that's you know one of the things holding you back there, that just really makes the experience in your Model Three as great as it can be.
1: The main thing for me is actually that stretch from uh, Grand Junction to Salina, having the flexibility to use either the V2 Tesla superchargers or any of the CCS networks is really nice. It just offers you some flexibility. If something doesn't work great, you've got another backup option. And That's true. it would be a little bit annoying or frustrating to be in a situation where I don't have that flexibility. And, for example, I'm stuck waiting in line in Green River or something.
0: Yeah, definitely. So and Tesla provides the adapters, which I know will come into the picture more when um, – the EV start getting access to the supercharger network and just seeing how the adapts adapter lifestyle rolls out and how much of a success they are at first. I don't know. Do you have any doubts about that or do you think that they're going to engineer them perfectly from the get-go?
1: I mean, I assume that there's going to be problems. I think that we'll have chart um, adapters fail here and there. I, I don't want to uh, jinx it, but I think it's unlikely any cars will just get totally fried while plugging in. It's a very rare occurrence that that ever happens. Yeah, um,
0: definitely. I think
1: that's- I think the biggest thing is that people only get access to the V three superchargers, and that's going to throw a lot of people off. And I think it might be lead to some pretty unfortunate situations where people are kind of stuck and were planning to use a charger that they're mm-hmm.
0: not able to charge on. Yeah, and that just really puts an emphasis on whatever head unit or app that non-Tesla drivers are using to access the Tesla network being just very particular with the information that it gives its drivers so they don't show up to a charger, one that won't work for them. Um, which would just totally ruin the experience, which people do all the time. They just navigate somewhere. And for whatever reason, the charger is not going to work for them, but at least hoping that it's only leading them to chargers that are actually compatible with their vehicle.
1: Certainly. I mean, I've seen plenty of instances of people in a CCS car, like currently driving up to a Tesla supercharger and like, how do I plug this in? Yeah. You know, hopefully there's more education and people will start to learn a bit more. But I think it's definitely, at least for me, a serious concern.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so what about the, you had said something about the auto steer that came on after the holiday update, driving your Tesla. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Of course. Yeah. So Tesla oftentimes or always releases a update around late December that usually has a lot of features, a lot of improvements, uh, a lot of changes. This year, there were a lot of really cool things, uh, upgraded park assist, and one of the big things was a lot of changes to their auto steer function. Uh, As we've uh, mentioned in one of our podcasts, uh, Tesla had a fairly large recall that affected every vehicle sold in the US. And it was essentially to make the autopilot a bit more strict, uh, make sure that you're paying attention a bit more, and remove some of the possibilities for misuse or uh, mm-hmm. abuse of the system. Exactly. And, you know, uh, totally fine. I'm on board with that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I've certainly seen way too many instances of people abusing uh, Tesla's self-driving features. Yes, so that with happens this new, a lot. Yeah, with this new update, I think they've improved that a ton. I don't think it's perfect, uh, but they have improved a ton. Additionally, from a usability perspective, it is way better. So if we okay. go back a few years in time, Tesla decided to get rid of their radar for their uh, automatic cruise control. This was a fairly controversial uh, move. They they made the justification that computer vision is good, we use our eyes for vision, and you know yada, yada. Basically, just some very poor excuses for why they're doing this. The real reason they did it was to save cost. And they think that they're able to achieve a similar outcome while cutting out that cost. Initially, completely disagreed. I I thought the system was really, really quite poor. There were a lot of instances. So like on the highway, if there's a merge lane uh, from the side, it will get confused. And all of a sudden, it'll pull you like right into the middle of this super wide lane that's merging. And then you're just like weaving back and forth in your lane. Additionally, a massive problem that happened was phantom braking, where for no discernible reason, you're just driving along the highway the car goes
0: deep, 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 deep,
1: and slams on the brakes as if you're about to hit a brick wall in front of you. And it's <laughs> no. genuinely really frightening, frightening and dangerous. And yes. it happened all the time. It was to the point where my girlfriend did not want to drive my car on the highway because she didn't trust it for that reason specifically.
0: Yeah, that's and pretty horrible. I'm happy horrible.
1: to report that it was almost completely resolved uh, on this drive. There were almost mm. no instances. There were a couple times where it was. Uh, super late in the day the sun was just about to set and it was blasting right at us mm-hmm. it did have a couple instances of phantom breaking there uh however visibility was terrible i was having a hard time seeing too so
0: yeah that's when Understandable, i mean but
1: not perfect
0: exactly radar if, been
1: nice to have there
0: that that's that's an interesting point because they obviously had their reasons for taking away the radar but it's Points like these with phantom braking—that is not only unsafe for you but other drivers, and extremely uncomfortable and scary. Like not not a thing. Where these redundancies from having the eyesight to also the radars would come in handy. But I guess they're just looking for software to alleviate those issues. But like you said, it sounds like it has improved from this two million Teslas recalled and the software update with the autopilot system to now that. Maybe nothing has come along that's really made it worse, which I know can sometimes happen with the software update. They change something and then something actually loses some quality, but overall a bit better, but of course not perfect. I'm not expecting it to be, honestly.
1: There has been some people online who are complaining because now the system is harder to abuse. They're like, oh, well, how am I going to like write a six page email now? And that's the
0: point. That's the point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah for the most part, I think it's entirely positive. And from, from my own perspective, huge, massive improvements, a great step forward. And it makes me a lot more satisfied with using the car. It's not something that I'm like worried about. I'm not just driving along on this road trip, worried that it's just going to randomly slam on the brakes. That's not really a concern that I have too much anymore, which I'm, I'm really thankful for.
0: Right. I mean, if it's supposed to be almost driving itself and you're just waiting for it to slam on the brakes, it's not the experience that you want for so many reasons. So you made it out to California, hopefully without really any any struggles you notice that the ccs can be stronger than the supercharger network and you had your time with your family so that's great and then the drive back of course which can sometimes be different you know the status of charging infrastructure can change and sometimes for the worse so what about rounding back
1: uh, it was it was a nice trip the weather was a little bit worse and uh we didn't jo- get as far on the first day so our second day was considerably longer However, Mm -hmm. it was overall still under 12 hours total from when we left to when we got home. So very manageable. Again, I think our longest charging stop was again, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. That actually, again, happened in Grand Junction. And that was the worst charging stop that we had. I had to wait for a few minutes, not too long. But then I plug into this V2 supercharger, which again, because it's full, I'm sharing that power. I'm only getting about 55, 60 kilowatts so, it's very slow charging there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I
1: just topped up enough to be able to make it to the next charger down the road.
0: Right, which is really truly the strategy to take with the EV charging infrastructure as we have it now. If you're if you have enough just to charge shortly to get to the next stop, that's great. Sometimes the length that it takes to get to the next one is longer than we'd hope. So, you said something about the weather and that that shortened your day. Was that because you didn't want to drive in bad weather or because the efficiency of your EV was affected by the weather?
1: Uh, actually. Uh, so the first day we had a, a shorter day because we spent a few hours watching Michigan football play Alabama in the Rose bowl and win <laughs> to go to the national championship, which we won. Uh, so yeah, we just had a shorter day since we were uh, out watching a, a bit of football there. Uh, Congratulations. That was the thank you i worked so hard um <laughs> no but it was it was a, a a really nice time and even though we had to get almost 700 miles that second day on the way back and the temperatures were cold uh, down to like 10 degrees at some points uh, going over the rockies it was okay efficiency was okay charging was fine and, and the biggest hiccup was like i said there in a grand junction where i had to wait 2 or 3 minutes and then didn't get very good charging speeds
0: Yeah. Well, sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Um, and then you're kind of going downhill at the last part, right?
1: Which is hopefully good too. It's really nice. Uh, it's, it's a big climb up and then a really long, uh, way down. So you get to the top and you're at like 15% state of charge. You're like, geez, I got to go 90 miles. How is this going to work? And it works out.
0: Nice. Good. Just can, I know that of course you can do that really easily. And then ice car just coast down the hill so i'm glad of course that it transfers over to an ev which of course makes sense and i've done that drive before too it really is a climb until you're coasting down and it's it's pretty beautiful too grand junction you know i don't know if anyone is listening has been there it's in the middle of the nowhere desert town but it does have very beautiful views and it's in the valley and stuff so i really love it there great mountain biking too which we were talking about the other day yeah
1: most of the drive between Boulder and say about Las Vegas is spectacular. It's really beautiful. It's it it's really great. Is. And Oh no, I'm forced to stop and take a moment to look around at this incredible scenery. It's not the end of the world.
0: No, it's not. It's all about perspective. I mean, in everything in life, but especially if you're going to adopt the EV lifestyle. There are many times when you can get frustrated if you want to, and it's probably often valid, but uh, yeah, you just do have to, like I've said before, treat it as an experiment and an experience that you are taking part in as we transition to an electric transportation system. For for, for this trip, I know you've done a lot of EV road trips. The Tesla road trips typically aren't very exciting, but would you do anything differently than next time?
1: Honestly, no. The only things were just... Really small things, like remembering to uh, change my payment method for Electrify America, so I didn't sure. have that hiccup. Uh, yeah. No, I, I'm really happy with how things went. There were no real problems, and things, things went as smoothly as I could reasonably expect. So.
0: That's pretty good. Do you have another yeah. road trip planned soon?
1: Uh, not immediately, but I'm sure we're probably going to be doing a race to Vegas at some point, and hopefully some more out-of-spec road trips as well.
0: Yes. My fingers are crossed that I get to be a part of that. I would love to do that even if I'm in the passenger seat, but I'd love to love to do that. Get the whole team together, which I think is really fun for the audience to see as well. And to have direct comparisons to EVs as we do this drive. And I I was reading one comment that was like, um, I was on a race to Vegas thing of ours that we'd done. And someone was like, 72 miles per hour, how is this a race? And it's like, well, <laughs> we have to make it to the next stop. <laughs> you have yeah. to sometimes go a bit slower. It's it's not the cannonball.
1: Yep. So, yeah.
0: yeah, it's different. It's different. Though we love road trips, EV road trips are totally possible. And I love being able to take lessons learned from EV owners and EV drivers who have taken road trips and share them out so that people can find little tips and tricks along the way. So I would love to hear from the audience. If you have a Tesla, have you often opted for CCS just because whether that's something in your area or it fits your needs more along your route to grandma's house, whatever it is, let us know. And of course, thank you, Ryan, for coming on to the of Spec podcast to tell me about your Tesla Model 3 rear wheel drive LFP battery road trip from Colorado to California and back again.
1: It was great talking with you. I'm looking forward to doing it on the next one.
0: Yay. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Out of Spec Podcast.